Hello, my name is Barry Murphy, a tax partner at PwC, and welcome to the latest episode of our Talking Tax podcast, where we are discussing the most topical issues in the tax system today. Today, it seems like tax is under pressure from all sides, whether it's Brexit, whether it's digitization, everyone's worried about is there enough tax to pay for the public services we want and where is it coming from? And people are asking, is hypothecation the answer? Big word, but really, it's ring-fence taxes for a specific purpose. Think NHS. And I'm delighted to say I am joined by Caroline McFarland, founder and director of Common Vision, or COVI, as it's commonly known, and Stella Amos, PwC's head of tax policy, two true experts to talk about this topic today. So, Caroline, if I turn to you first, hypothecated taxes, it's not a new concept, or is it? Thanks, Barry. Hi. Um, no, there's been lots of recent political interest and media hype around um, hypothecation, but hypothecated taxes go back centuries, really. Um, and I think it's been labelled a zombie policy because of the ability to sort of be resurrected from the dead as an idea. Um, so why is it sort of interesting now? I think Hypothecation has been used in various forms in the past. It's now talked about in the sense of funding healthcare because of the um, public budgeting constraints. And I think it's seen as something which can help public engagement and participation in the tax system. And that's why we're interested in exploring the concept. Okay, so it's centuries old. It's a zombie policy. So Stella, what's policy-wise, that's your job, what, what's its relevance today? Well, today we've got quite a few challenges. You know, we see a lot in the media particularly about how new taxes ought to be raised and we, how we need new taxes. Now, there's a bigger debate about whether that's right or wrong, but let's assume we do need to raise taxes. Nobody likes paying tax. So hypothecation or looking at ways in which you can use tax which is hypothecated could be a really good way to focus on a particular area to identify a particular need and to engage with the public so that they can understand why taxes might need to be raised in that area. And they might therefore feel a bit more willing and understand why they or others might need to be the people who have to pay that tax. So you know, picking up on one of Caroline's points, I think hypothecation has a real place in helping public engagement. And that's something that we all think um, could do with more of in the tax arena. That's kind of part of the reason why we have these discussions. There's not enough discussion around the taxes that we need and, and then where the, the funds then come from. Who do you tax and why? But hypothecation gets to the heart of that. And is there any evidence to suggest you said people are willing to pay more for certain things. Is there any evidence behind that? Good point. Um, we've seen some um, recent kind of surveys, particularly looking at the National Health Service. And every time the public are surveyed on whether or not they would be willing to pay more money if it went directly into the health service. So if the, the taxes that were raised were ring-fenced and protected for funding the health service, then everybody, the, you know, huge percentages, 70%, 60% kind of poly, um, votes that say, yes, people would be willing to pay more taxes in that case. Okay, so a lot of ifs in there, you know, if it was for this and if it went to that, um, it's not new, it's coming back into vogue. So obviously it isn't a slam dunk, this will work for everything. And Caroline, I know you and Covey have a report on this whole area coming out very shortly. So maybe if we start with you, what are the pros and cons mm. of hypothecated taxes that we need to think about? I think um, in terms of the pros, it is that sort of 
public um, public support for raising um, revenue and for paying taxes, really. Um, and that's seen as the, I think that's why it is now back in vogue as a concept. Um, there's, there's various cons and um, a lot of those are um, around the technicalities of things. So the fact that uh, what is seen as a hypothetical tax may not end up being an actual hypothecated tax. And an example of that is with um, national insurance. People assume that national insurance is hypothecated because it's supposed to go towards um, healthcare and pensions. But in reality, the income from NI doesn't cover the total cost of these things. So then it can't be seen as a hypothecated tax in its sort of truest, um, truest sense. Um, so there's that sort of confusion bit where um, you say that a tax is hypothecated, but actually it's only presentational, it's framed like that, and it doesn't actually happen. And so that undermines the public support that it's supposed to create in the first place. So there's there's something around, around that. Um, the other sort of really strong objection that we found across our sort of consultation on this issue is um, around tax populism. So the idea that if people can see or pick and choose where their taxes are going, then that undermines the social contract as a whole um, and taxes are seen as sort of single item spends rather than a collective pot for the public good. Um, so there's something, you know, something around there as well, which is quite, quite important. And it's not that hypothecation can't work, but there are lots of other fundamental issues that need to be addressed to make it work in practice. And, and in that consultation you mentioned that I know is part of that report, was there a really strong sense of, well, can I trust that someone will stick to what they say this tax is for using the example of national insurance? How strong was that feeling? Yeah, um, I think there, there is this idea that I think there's a fundamental language issue actually around the debate on hypothecation. People are talking at cross purposes about very, very different things. So in the report, we identify the differences between strong hypothecation and weak hypothecation, for example, wide and narrow, lots of other ways that people talk about hypothecation, but really they're not talking about the same thing. Um, so strong hypothecation means that the a service is tied to a single tax revenue that then has no other forms of funding, whereas a weak model might involve some sort of top-up tax so that the service has more money than it already gets. And I think that's one of the problems. People are talking about very different things and they think they might be agreeing that hypothecation is a good thing, but actually they're talking about you know, very separate um, models. And that has, to go back to your question, that then has a um, impact on this confidence in the issue on the whole. Okay, and from it, as you look at tax policy, Stella, is there anything in what Caroline said that you would go absolutely that's an issue, or how would you view it from policy perspective? I, th I think the point that, that Caroline made about the tax populism is a really important point, and that did come out very strongly in the discussions that we were having. So the ability, if people can pick and choose and, and contract in, if you like, with a particular issue, but then decide with their feet to not, not want to contribute to another issue that is actually equally important, but for a particular sector of the population might not be seen. So somebody might be really happy to pay for healthcare, but not so happy to pay for environmental taxes. So if you create a culture where people think they can pick and choose, that must be, that comes very difficult for anybody to manage on a, on a go forward basis. So I completely agree with that. I guess one of the other kind of real pluses that comes out of it is from a, a public engagement perception, 
the, the transparency and accountability that you would get with a hypothecated tax. Because if people can see that the funds are going in somewhere, then actually they can hold the government or whoever the tax raising body is in that case to account. If it looks like the money isn't raised, isn't enough, or they can see where it gets spent. So there has to be some real kind of proper dialogue between the needs that the, the government needs to raise funds, or how much do they need and what do they need it for. And then when, they, when it gets kind of paid over by a taxpayer, they then kind of feel a bit more engagement and ownership in the process. So might be a bit more willing to see that the government are doing what they say they're going to do. Okay. But huge issues there, I think you're saying, of potential opt-out. I want to pay for this. I don't want to pay mm. for that. And that may or may not engender wider trust is one thing I'm hearing. Yeah. But the transparency piece is very important. Now, the government has done some work on trying to make it transparent about where your taxes go. What's been the public's engagement on that, just as a snapshot? And again, we know um, Caroline and I have both done different kind of surveys, and I think it came up in the one we were on, on this particular topic as well. So this is looking at uh, the government do send out like a taxpayer's kind of statement that demonstrates where all the taxes go, and they send that out annually um, with your tax, with a summary of your taxes individually. And what we're finding there that like, people don't understand it, and if they do understand it, actually they they barely it doesn't go, it doesn't mean anything to them. It's not transparent enough. It's it's in two kind of abstract terms. I think I would say. I mean, Caroline, I don't. Know if you agree with that. Yes, and I think um, there's there's lots of issues and challenges with the um, annual tax statement, but I think there's also an opportunity there to make more of that and use that as a sort of, um, develop that as a communications tool about the tax system. And maybe that would address some of the things that proponents of hypothecation are trying to address. So there's lots of other, you know, fundamentals that we need to get right and public communication and taxpayer education is definitely one of those fundamentals. Okay. So it's been around for ages as a concept. It's had its ups and downs. There's a huge amount about transparency. Let's make it practical. Are there some examples we can all latch onto that make it more real about some of these concepts you've described, Caroline? So examples of where hypothecation exists. I'll go back to the um, to the language issue. So there are examples of where some kind of hypothecated model exists, but whether it is seen by everyone as hypothecation in its truest form is debatable. So um, TV license fees are one example. So um, they are levied on users of specific services, i.e. TV broadcasts or downloads, and um, the revenue is earmarked for the BBC and makes up over 70% of the BBC's total income. So that allows the public to make a link between the fee that they pay and the service that they receive. And that has clear sort of pros and cons in you know, how people perceive the BBC actually. So it's a good example of, of um, you know, something that does happen in a very sort of direct way. Um, not seen as hypothecation in its truest form because revenue for the BBC also comes from elsewhere too. Um, social care funding in Germany and Japan is another example um, in the international space um, where um, Germany introduced social care insurance um, in 1995 and moved to fund it with individual salary deductions that were then matched by an individual's employer and the fund was sort of ring-fenced as an independent um, fund that would then um, be used for social care. So that's that's one example. Um, similar um, model 
in Japan where people over the age of 40 are obliged to pay into an elderly care insurance system and there's also a system of co-payment for um, medical services. So those are examples of where money is put aside for a very specific um, health or social care purpose um, and it varies on how broad or narrow that definition of the purpose of the tax is. Okay, so really revolves around being really clear about what it's for. I suppose if we think about political dynamic, can a new administration change what the original deal was? All of that makes it very complex. Um, if we were just to move to wrapping up, if we had to go down the hypothecated route in the UK, Stella, Caroline, where would be a good place to start and how would you do it? One recommendation from each of you. Um, shall I kick off? I think what we've, what we've, I think my conclusion from the work that we've done is that you couldn't do something that's just sustainable. I think some of the arguments against why hypothecation might not work. So, you know, for example, taking Caroline's example, if you had a great big um, surplus fund in, in kind of healthcare and you had dire needs somewhere else um, on the, on the budget it would be really hard for a government to say, we're not gonna to touch that ring fencing. So I think, I'm not sure it's a kind of an ongoing kind of solution to any one particular problem. So I think if you're going to do it, you address a, a particular immediate need where you want to change or influence behavior, but you do it with a timeline. So you could say like for the next two or three years, we're gonna raise this tax and all the monies that we raise is gonna to go to, to jumpstart a particular initiative or to, to fund a particular industry in, in doing a particular behavior, you know, you know, investing in jobs in a particular area or something like that but you have a, an end date to when it's, when it's going to finish so that it wouldn't continue in that okay. way. So okay. short, sharp solution for me. Sharp, sharp, real accountability because it'd be transparent and short enough to see the end point. Yeah. I like that. Caroline? Um, I think before um, any sort of um, hypothecated model, we need to ask why. That's really fundamental. So what is the purpose of exploring this opportunity? Is it because of revenue certainty? Is it because of public engagement? And that's really important because, th as I said earlier, there are other ways of addressing those challenges and we need to get those fundamentals right. Um, so any sort of hypothecated model would need to be caveated with the principles of good tax policy making, as Stella mentioned, um, having that sort of implementation review or sunset clause. Also, taxpayer education and good sort of rigorous communications, whether that's public consultation or um, other educational kind of um, uh, activities. And a simpler tax system would help people to understand what's going on with hypothecated models. So that's also another fundamental that um, should be considered. I think um, something that we sort of haven't discussed is the potential for participatory budgeting models um, to be used in conjunction with hypothecation because if we can have a situation where we have more citizen deliberative discussion on how taxes are raised and spent then that would help kind of you know iron out some of the other challenges in the tax system I think there's a real opportunity there not just to kind of hypothecate a tax for the sake of it and you know just do it like people have always done, but actually think differently and a bit more creatively about how the public can be engaged in that decision-making process. So, true democracy in action, maybe. Mm. So Caroline, Stella, thank you for that. It is a fascinating topic. I'm not sure there's an easy answer, but what I have heard is opening up the debate more widely in the public, getting more engagement, so we're all clear on what taxes we're paying and why, has to be a good thing. I'm looking forward to seeing more in the Covey report that's coming out. 
Thank all of you for listening. And I hope you leave any comments you want on the podcast website. Um, and indeed, do look out for a copy of that Covey report. Join the discussion. Thank you for listening. Thank you.